Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. So friends, today we're pressing in on this episode to the healthy inner conditions of a leader. And I am personally excited for this for my own growth and development, but also as a pastor, I keenly feel and am grieving the lack of um, this, um, the understanding of this topic and the ramifications that it's having on the church at large. Whether you're talking about a notable Christian leader who's had a public fall, or you're looking in our local context and the bitterness or the change fatigue. Uh, or the just weariness and burnout that's lurking closer than any of us are comfortable for. It's so obvious that there is something to be learned on this topic. There's something to be explored. And I am eager to open this conversation because I think while there's maybe things to be learned and something that the Spirit wants to say to us, we need to open up and normalize this conversation. We need to create brave spaces to let others in to the reality of where we're living and to spark thoughts and inspiration and encouragement, cheer each other on in the topic. So I'm just really eager for today's topic specifically. And we've invited two friends to join the conversation. I'd like to introduce you to Robin Bliss. Hi, Robin. Hi. Hi. Robin is an author and also a consummate spiritual director, and she has seen some things. So I'm eager for her perspective. And then rounding out the conversation, hi, Aaron. Hello. Aaron White is also an author who's released a book that I am hoping comes up in this conversation today because I think there are some insightful and maybe uncomfortable connections. Um, Aaron has worked in Vancouver for the last 16 years as a pastor and a missionary and does a lot of work with um, addicts and recovery. And I am curious to see, Aaron, your thoughts on any connections that you see between um, pastors and leaders and uh, maybe the populace that we tend to picture in our mind when we say addict. I'm just... I'm hoping that really comes up today. It's one of those places where I've been praying around where sparks might fly. So welcome you two. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's an honor. So I'd like to start off with a nice slow pitch softball kind of a question. (laughs) Could you just each give me three words that come to mind when I say self-care? Emotional honesty taking care of the body. These are three thoughts, not three words. <laughs> and uh, yeah, paying attention, paying mm. attention. Mm. Um, holistic, um, creational intent. I know that's two words, but creational intent and, uh, and, and, and intimate fellowship. Mm. Oh, 
okay. Okay. Uh, I have other words too, but those would be, that's where I'll start. (laughs) Can I, can we press into that last one? Would you be game to expound on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, I mean, one of my, uh, I've sat under a lot of teaching around self-care and, um, and, and one thing that I, that often seems to be missed when we're talking about it is this, uh, that it, the word self sometimes locks us into this very individualistic um, sense mm. of, of caring for ourselves. And God does care, care about us as persons, as individuals. But I think, uh, and this, this goes into the addiction world as well, um, if we're just trying to deal with ourselves as individual atomized agents, mm. we're missing something that we're made for. We're missing some of the healing that God wants to give us. And we won't really have, we won't really understand the care that we're meant to have if we're not doing this in intimate fellowship with God and intimate fellowship with others around us. Hmm. Robin, that makes me want to ask you, I, I don't, the picture that I have of a spiritual director, these intimate conversations that you have with leaders, do you see that same pattern when, when Aaron says, I think something that we're missing is we're doing these in isolated spaces. Do you see that same pattern as you meet with leader after leader after leader? That's so interesting because I was thinking about that even as you were saying that, Aaron. And I think sometimes the opposite can be true in that we hide behind, we call it intimate spaces or fellowship, but we kind of hide behind the community and don't really attend to our own bodies and our own souls, but call it ministry or call it other focused something as compared to paying attention to our own bodies and what we need. But I do agree. I mean, so yes, opposite, but also yes, and that there is this definitely an invitation to pay attention to our own bodies and to our own souls and to do that together in community, I think is really important. But I see a lot of leaders who, for the sake of denying themselves, have, have hidden behind the idea of community, the idea oh, yeah. of fellowship. Oh, I mean, Bonhoeffer says that the person who ha- who loves the idea of community is the most dangerous person to community. Oh, um, yeah. Wow. In the same way that the person who loves the idea of prayer is, is maybe the most dangerous person to the notion of prayer. Yeah. I think uh, most of the leaders that I've met don't have much of a prayer life and they don't have friends. Mm. And so, there isn't that genuineness. So, obviously, when I'm, I'm, I would very much not talk about that, that sense of that ungenuine mm-hmm. fellowship. Uh, I think that's one of the big problems is, is people have nobody to talk to and they don't know how to talk to God. And, yeah. and that's, that's an inter interior. Like that's why I say holistic. It's, it's that person is that individual's fear of vulnerability or, or those things being mm-hmm. that's one, you know, through, <laughs> through ministry um, and, and fear of intimacy with God, mm-hmm. I think is a huge issue. Yeah. Which is why I said emotional honesty as my first word, Um, just because I think that's exactly what you're saying, Aaron, is yes, being able to talk openly and honestly with God, connecting with God, honestly, but also friendship. I actually like that word better when you use that word rather than intimate fellowship, because I think fellowship is just, that's just ruined that word. But when you say, when you say friendship, I'm like, oh yeah, that's really critical. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I was thinking, Robin, while you were describing the the danger of community is the hiding in the crowd, but I was thinking how it's so possible to be completely alone and feeling isolated inside a crowd of people yeah. that just the presence of other people does not necessarily bring this thing. Yeah. It's yeah. how we have to actually use it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... I, everything we do around Jesus Collective is meant to help us center ourselves on Jesus. So I, I'd like to ask, how do you think putting Jesus in the center of the self-care conversation changes the dialogue? How, how do you think that makes that different from other religious movements or non-religious movements that also promote self-care? What is the Jesus difference in this dialogue? I think it's a huge difference because I think Jesus is not put off by our strong personalities or our strong emotions and or by our bodies. You know, we have disembodied spirituality and our connection with our creator so t to our detriment. Um, but Jesus is not put off by any of that. In fact, all of that, like the vessel and the emotional stuff going on inside the vessel is our tools even can act as shepherds and guides to like scoot us closer to Jesus. And I think Jesus kind of just stands in the middle is like, Oh yeah, come bring it, bring it, bring it honestly, bring it transparently. Let's, let's talk. Um, I think Jesus changes all of that, but uses all of that to kind of like bring us closer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you add to that Aaron? Yeah, def I mean, I, I definitely agree. In fact, we had we were doing a little bit of training a couple of weeks ago, and um, one of the people in our group was a, a, a woman who'd been displaced. She's a refugee from Syria, mm -hmm. a Muslim woman. And we were going through John 4, the woman at the well. And from her perspective, it was fascinating because she's from that culture. And she said, oh, yeah, like we all kind of know it. Because she's like the idea of a, a woman alone speaking to Jesus at a well. And mm -hmm. she, she understood a little bit of... of her background she's like that would be really scandalous she said but there was obviously something about jesus that uh, that created that space that allowed that woman to speak and in a very bold and forthright way mm. and and i just loved that revelation that she mm. had like there was something about jesus in this story that allowed her to speak and and I, and when i said creational intent what i mean is sort of that is mm. that we were i think made we're made to pray. We're made to be in friendship with God now and forever. And, and that's sort of our, that's our created purpose. And so that changes everything about self-care or however we want to call it. That, that changes everything because we're actually being called into our purpose, called into what we're made for, the whole of mm. ourselves. And not just in this dualistic way, mm. which is not just our spirit, but also not just our body, which a lot of, right. not just our emotions, like a lot of self-care, I think gets compartmentalized into those things. And we're whole people, mm, body, soul, yeah. and spirit. Mm -hmm. And so on one side, I get, I, I, I see some of the self-care stuff being around very necessary and good things around taking care of your body and your emotions and your, mm -hmm. your um, and I would include your social relations. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so important. But outside of the context of, and, and we were made to be in union with God forever in Christ, um, you know, that 
I think it's not hitting the mark fully. And the same as if we're just talking about someone spiritually, but not caring about their body, soul, spirit, or social relations. That's mm-hmm. not it either. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says the whole of you. I, he took on, he was embodied. He took on a body and he said, I care about your entire body. And he said, I, he healed everybody in an area. Why did he do that? You know, they're, they're all going to die later, you know, and he fed people. Why did he do that? They're going to get hungry later because he cares about the body mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's like, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that because in my own journey with workaholism and burnout, I, um, I came to realize eventually that I actually had a narrative that God was disappointed in the limitations of my humanity. Mm. That was the, that was a major drive. I ended up, I had multiple drives that were causing the workaholic problem, but a major driver was that God somehow in his infiniteness saw my humanity as a weakness and a lameness. And I was like, well, I guess I'll have to work with that. But could you do your best to overcome that humanity? Because I need you to, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know where I picked it up. But I love the fact that you're both pinging on the idea that God cares about your body. And it speaks, I think that's one of the Jesus differences as well, is I think Jesus incarnate gives some indication about humanity not being the lame thing that I had in mind. That, um, yeah, that that holistically includes our humanity and it is not a disappointment. Um, I don't know where I picked that up. We were created to be human. We were created to be human. Our humanity is a good gift to us. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a reminder that we're not God. It's a reminder that we have needs. I mean, so these are really, really good things, um, which I think is a really important reason to take care of ourselves in that whole beautiful way that you've described, Erin. But I think even as a way to receive and to respond to our humanity, with gratitude. I have limitations. Thanks be to God. Amen. I am broken. Hallelujah. Our humanity is given to us in this good, holy space as gift. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I love even, you know, Jesus is fully human. Yeah. I yeah. love those bits where it says, you know, he went out into the desert and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. Mm, yeah, you know, of course he was. Like if anybody, if, if I went out and fasted for two, four hours, I would say, and I was hungry. Yeah. Um, Jesus was hungry. I, that seems like a really redundant thing to say, but it's so important. The writers of the gospel knew, actually, we probably need to emphasize mm-hmm. he, he was hungry. And so the temptation of bread, it, it's not just this spiritual thing where Jesus is kind of hovering three feet off the ground and he's carrying a lamb over his shoulders, but he's not really affected by things. No, he's hungry. And, and he wept and he was sad and he had a nap on the boat and, and he almost for us takes all those things and redeems them and, and just shows us like, this is part of who you are. Mm-hmm. So, so the act of falling asleep at night, you know, I love the mm-hmm. psalmist says, I lay down and I, and I rest and I wake up in, in peace because mm-hmm. I'm not God. And I'm not in control of the things while I'm asleep. Like, it's an insane thing to do to fall asleep and just Mm. let all that go unless God is God. Mm. And Mm. that's that's what what it means for us to be human. Yeah. I don't remember where in the process of my multiple burnouts, somebody reframed Sabbath for me. And maybe this was the original and maybe it's not even accurate, but it was so life-giving to me. 
that Sabbath was an act of trust, that I don't need to produce all of the time, that God is the one who carries the day, and that um, it became, it just completely reframed the day from this legalistic view of like, what's work, what's not work, which I, you know, we laugh at the, yeah. We laugh at the Old Testament writers who captured these definitions of work, but in reality, that is the question that was looming large for me, yeah. is what's allowed if I was to do Sabbath, I don't have, anyway, so to reframe it as an act of trust, yeah. and they linked that, or God linked it, I don't know, at a similar time, um, sleep was defined mm -hmm. as an act of trust, like you just yeah. read, and it revolutionized my interactions with the concept of Sabbath and my mm. daily uh, gratitude, speaking to your thing, Robin, of like, hallelujah, I have limitations. Like, yeah. Yeah. That that act of going to sleep becomes a soul training exercise. Mm. Can, I, can I push that even further in the notion of Sabbath to kind of what I was, I was talking about a bit before? Isaiah 58 is that great social justice passage mm. you know like if you pour yourself out on behalf of the uh the the poor you know i will i will your, your body will be like a well-watered garden like it's this beautiful thing it's a bit counterintuitive which mm. is like if you're breaking the bonds of injustice and if you're pouring yourself out i will i will do this and and everybody likes loves to to preach on that in terms of justice it's actually a particularly potentially dangerous passage because it can load a lot of mm. guilt on you like i'm not doing it and you know um, but it ends and people always stop before this in isaiah 58 it ends on this whole thing about the sabbath which hmm. seems like it's really out of place like if you keep your foot from breaking the sabbath during isaiah 58 but if you look through the passage you see that earlier on it's saying like you break the sabbath by making your workers toil and slave uh, you're just looking for money, you know, and so there's, it's not even just an individual thing, the Sabbath, it's the way that our society is working and causing people to be in a, in a very displaced place, mm. in a very unhealthy overall environment where no rest is permitted because we're trying to profit off of our workers. And, and so this is part of the self-care thing that I think is often missed as well. Mm. And it's not just an individual journey. If So as I've been working with people in addictions for a lot of years, a lot of the addiction cycle is someone realizes my life isn't working. They go into detox, they go through treatment, which can take three to six months. And maybe they do a two year transitional and then they're back out into like, go put, get yourself on your feet, go back into the workforce, sort out your life, get in an apartment. And they're back into that same environment mm -hmm. that really caused so much harm that they, they really came to the place of going, the only comfort I can find is heroin. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, if we're not looking at that as well, in terms of Sabbath, in terms of how are we caring for people, then I think we're missing the boat. Mm. I'm glad you pushed that envelope. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful. Uh, so I, that's one of the things I was hoping we would press into today is do either of you, because you do so much prolific work with, with leaders and people, do you see a pattern in our system? And let, let's narrow it down from like society system. Let's narrow it down. The, the vast majority of people who take in this podcast are church leaders or leaders of some way, shape, or form. Do you see something inside of the church culture that is feeding this beast that if we're not aware of, we just get caught in the flywheel and off we go? Do you see something in our system? 
These are those healthy sparks that I'm hoping we tread lightly (laughs) because there's something about truth telling that can be so convicting and uncomfortable, but set us free. So I'd like to encourage these are brave spaces. You might be stepping on toes with your answer here, but I, we're in the system. We're affected by the system to your point, Aaron. Would you call it out? Like, what do you see? Go for it, Aaron. <laughs> I'm here to mop up the mess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you're good at that. I've never learned. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I, mean, I don't think there's any question about it. And I think we have to be really honest about it that, um, you know, our, our, our mutual friend, Danielle, did a beautiful um, Instagram series of teachings on toxic cultures and, oh, gosh, and yes. toxic leadership and so on and really hit the nail. I, I encourage people to go and take a look at those. Um, I, I've been working with people in addictions for about 25 years. And recently, as we were praying, God was highlighting to us in 24-7 prayer, um, you know, you've done a, a good job of caring for the people who are really hurting and broken on the edges of the church or outside the church. Mm-hmm. Would you now take some time and try and love and care for the people inside the church who are hurting and broken, like, and specifically pastors and leaders? I, thought, I do not want to do that. You know, I'm, I'm far more comfortable having, um, honestly, and it's, people receive it as a joke, but I'm genuinely more comfortable having uh, people who are, are, are drug dealers at my table than some senior pastors. Because the drug dealers tend to be far less defensive and competitive um, and, and, oh. and tend to be more vulnerable, oddly enough. And so, but I've realized in speaking with a lot of pastors that my work with addicts, um, and I was a pastor for, for 17 years as well, my work with addicts has uniquely prepared me to work with a lot of leaders and pastors who are absolutely attached to and their their person, their their sense of self-worth, their comfort comes from how am I doing? You know, how how is this working for me? How is my 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 church, what is the success happening, my ministry, all these things. And it's so dangerous. And we prop that up and we even call it good. And that's what gets so dangerous is that nobody says crystal meth is good. Mm-hmm. But we say this kind of success-driven, competitive, you know, uh, um, workaholism, pastorholism, whatever, uh, is a good thing. And we've seen over, I've seen it so many times over this last year that people have been, pastors and leaders have been forcibly detoxed from those things that they've been running to for comfort. Mm-hmm. That, that was a, a wrong thing to run to for comfort. The need for comfort was correct. Yeah. But the way that we, that's what addiction is, is that we're going to the wrong things for comfort rather than what God has put in in place for us to receive comfort. Mm -hmm. And that can be heroin or that can be your ministry. And there's been so much damage done, but it's called good. And that's even more damaging. Mm -hmm. Aaron, is that some of what you cover in your book, Recovering? That it's, it's probably the major thing. So when I started writing this book, um, people said, oh, that'll be great for people in drug addiction. And I was like, oh, that's not why I'm writing it. <laughs> like, my point is that I want people in the church and in the world to hear the wisdom that people in recovery have learned. Because mm-hmm. there is far more spiritual work often being done in 12-step groups than there are in churches. Mm-hmm. Beginning from the place of, you know, step one, I recognized that my life was out of control. When's the last time we heard that from, aside yeah. from a pastor who got caught? Mm-hmm. You know, when's that the last time we've heard that level of spiritual poverty? And so I, I kind of link that stuff to the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's step one. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who've learned from their poverty of spirit to mourn what's going on around them and in them. 
Uh, blessed are you when you've learned this meekness, this balance. So I'm absolutely writing this to the church, this book called Recovering. Okay. Okay. Robert, that, yeah. Oh, so sorry. Yes. Well, I was just going to say out of compassion, oh, and of course, Aaron, everything that you're saying is, is just steeped from that place of compassion and, and mercy. Sorry, the cat just landed on me. Um, <laughs> you see that tail. The tail. I know. Like, ah. um, but out of the fear, it seems to me, at least with the, with the pastors and ministry leaders that I sit with, the fear is what will happen if I stop. Absolutely. And so, yes, that place of where we're looking for comfort, but also what happens when things get quiet? Yeah. What, are, what are the feelings that I'm afraid of? Am I, am, am I willing to risk feeling unproductive, unworthy, un, like I'm not making a difference, like I'm not having an impact? What's the fear? What's the, and so I would say as a spiritual director to encourage these people who are now suddenly aware, like, oh my goodness, if my life comes to a stop, what am I afraid of? Well, where is that fear in you? Mm -hmm. Where in your body do you feel that? Can you put your hand on that place? Can yeah. you be kind to yourself? Can you say, it's okay to be afraid? Yeah. This is just a human response. Jesus, can you come and be with me in this place? Yeah. Um, and and then in that way, the gift of the addiction, the gift of the the limitations is that has scooted us again closer to Jesus. Jesus comes and sits with us in that place of fear, in that place of vulnerability. Um, yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. I think because that's because you're even, and I'm sure you know this. You're describing the same process as someone go, coming off of, of crack. Yeah, is yeah, it's pain and fear that I don't want to face. Yeah, you know, like none of nobody. Think, oh, I think heroin. That's a great idea. Like. Uh, it, it's because there's pain and fear that I don't wish to face. Yeah. And Gerald May, whose book is it's just beautiful uh, on addiction and grace. He talks mm -hmm. about sometimes, you know, falling into these things as the, a precursor to grace, yeah. realizing, oh, we have this actual need. And what is it that I'm running from that I'm going mm -hmm. to hear? What is the fear? What is the pain? And that's why that's where just careful guidance and counsel, you know, because mm -hmm. you don't want to go, oh, you're just afraid of this, you know, pull yourself up. No, it's you it's this is real stuff Project. yeah yeah when the, when the lights turn off when the sound stops when there's no people to minister to and i'm alone with my thoughts yeah what happens and well and the level is so high it does feel like it will destroy you yes mm -hmm. and so attending to that with deep compassion and deep kindness deep gentleness yeah. because it isn't just oh yeah i'm afraid no, it is fear. Mm -hmm. It is terror. It is paralyzing. Yeah. Um, and so we do, we attend to that with, with great gentleness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a little bit surprised. I love where this has gone. I love where this has gone. But both of you just took a curveball that I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. I, I'm curious what, you don't have to put a number on it, but when you're speaking to the deep fear of what would happen, Robin, when you first said that, I thought you were speaking to the organizations. I think I may probably projected onto that. If I slow down, I'm not getting done what needs to be done for the organization to continue to thrive. And so I'll give up my own thriving so that the organization can thrive. And if I stop that in order to attend to my thriving all hell's going to break loose over there. But both of you love that you went in because I think that is a yes. <laughs> yes. Do you, um, 
is, do you think that is the primary, that fear of facing what is in there is the primary thing that stops us from this slowing down? Or do you see it split 50-50 people that are driven by, oh dear, if I slow down, what's going to happen over here or what's going to show up in here? Those places, those two doors both come to the internal space. Because if the ministry falls apart, oh, that's tragic. But what will people think about me? What does that say about me? How have I then been a failure? Oh, I'm the one. It was on me that all of this crumbled. I care deeply about how people feel, but really do I, or do I just feel, do I just care because when they're feeling badly, then I feel like something, (gasps) not everybody's happy. Not everybody's happy. It really comes back down to me. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, Oh, if I I can't possibly stop because all hell will break loose and everything will fall apart. (laughs) And then what will people say? And then what, then everything will be proved right. That I knew about myself the whole time that I'm a fraud, that I don't know what I'm doing. Now everybody will know. Yeah, absolutely. Which is not to say there isn't that organizational external pressure. There is, Mm -hmm. but if you are in that place of, of, of doing of, of thriving or of, of kind of knowing who you are and being comfortable with yourself and and so on then then that's easier to to i don't want to say deal with but you're not going to be as as uh, pulled by that chain mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know because yeah. you can't control really what those those external pressures they they exist and they're going to exist you know it'd be great mm-hmm. to be able to but we can't we we can all, i mean there's that great serenity prayer you know wisdom to to know the difference between what i can can what i can affect and what i can't um and but the things that i can't there there's actually quite a, a bit and so you're yeah. i think totally right robin that just that that fear of failure and how i'll be seen particularly as leaders yeah you know, and it's propped up. There's a culture that props that up. Uh, the, the kind of cult of personality, you know, the the structure, the hierarchical structures that we've all agreed to. You know, it all depends on this person. I remember when people would say, um, you know, I want a visit from from the church, and I would make sure people had gone and visited them. I said, no, no, I want a visit from the church, from you. Like, and it was if it wasn't from you. Then it wasn't legit. Yeah. I'm like, no, no I, oh, then you're not getting a visit from me because, <laughs> yeah. you know, so we do that and then we buy into it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it can become that's really damaging. Mm-hmm. OK, so I would love to hear one from each of you. But what is one thing either privately or publicly? But when we talked about the system is the system and we're in it, we're sort of caught in the flywheel. What is one thing you have seen leaders do that is effective to step out of that system? Short of quitting ministry. (laughs) Maybe, and maybe that is your recommendation, but like what's one effective thing you have seen leaders do to, to break that system's effect in their life? Hmm. That's a really good question. I want to say, Angela, and I don't know if this is answering the question, but I think I think there's two starting points in Genesis. There's the the doctrine, you know, the Imago Dei starting point, Genesis chapter one, and then there's the doctrine of original sin starting point in Genesis chapter two. Um, and I think we have as a 
traditional church, we have pivoted from that second doctrine, from the original sin doctrine. And so that what we are doing is like managing sin, 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 sin. We're born in sin, we're conceived in sin, everything we do is sin, we're we incline to sin, we just sin, 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 sin. And with that, the first cousin of that doctrine is shame. Yeah. Oh. And so I think one thing that I have seen transform a soul more quickly than almost anything is to pivot back to that first, to Genesis chapter one, to this understanding that we are created in the image of God, which means a lot of things, but for sure it means four things, created to be relational, rational, volitional, and emotional. And that gives us a place to be able to like, celebrate our humanity and to celebrate again those limitations and to celebrate our emotions and our broken places because it we we have a different perspective on them i think if i'm summing up into one thing that would be my one thing would you sorry Aaron? i'll give you just a half second more to think robin what format have you seen that work best in to go back to Aaron's principle of isolation versus community or friendship or your role as a spiritual director? What's best conditions in which someone begins to make that narrative shift? I really, can I just put a plug in for getting a spiritual director? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really think having, and I think this is answered in Aaron's like that deep friendship space too. If you have a friendship that a friend that holds you in that space, because here's the thing, like a spiritual director has been for me a life changing help, not because the spiritual director gives me any answers. They're so maddening in that way, <laughs> but because they hold me in that tension between the question that's been asked and the answer that surfaced. If I'm doing this work on my own, I think, oh, Robin, what are you deeply? Why did you react that way? Why? What are you afraid of? oh, wow, let's go watch some Netflix. That's a good idea. Ice cream, there's another idea. As compared to a, a someone, a friend, a, a spiritual companion, a spiritual director holds you in that space and waits for the answer to that question, which is rarely Netflix or ice cream, yeah. waits for it to rise up. Um, so, yes, I would say- I'm glad you did. Please, please find a spiritual director. And I'm connected to some amazing spiritual directors, great networks of people that are willing to sit with you in a non-anxious space, um, non without judgment, and just wait, wait for the answer to rise up. Yeah. I love that. And, and I totally agree. I think it's so vitally important. I mean, I, I spoke with a friend of mine once, a um, very accomplished uh, psychotherapist and I said, how much of what you do, I think you've maybe got this question a little bit, but I said, how much of what you do is very unique to what you can do? And how much of what you do is, is something that, that exists because there's sort of a brokenness in the way that we interact with each other? Mm. And he just very honestly said, look, there's, there are some very unique things that I can do in terms of prescription, in terms of understanding, you know, in a, in a different way. Um, but 90% of what the people that I talk to just have no friend to speak with. And, and they need someone to speak with. Yeah. Now, but what I love what you said, Robin, is that a lot of us, I think through a lot of pop psychology, have, we want to be sort of 
amateur but pop psychologists with each other mm -hmm. and give each other the answers and find solutions and fix people and and instead i think what you're describing so beautifully is that that person to listen that person who's capable of listening and then saying have you considered you know like that you've just said this and just almost reflecting back. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a lot of the work. I've done so many step fives with people in, in the addictions world. And that's just listening to someone make confession. Mm -hmm. And you're not supposed to go and say, oh, that was wrong of you to do that. Like they know it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. It's it's being able to, there's another person. And I love in the 12 steps, they say, confess to God, to yourself mm -hmm. and to one other person. Yeah. Um, what what you've done, you know, because it's so important. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I would add, I would add just that that speaking to God piece, um, and it's all related to that. What is our image of God? If if my image of God is someone who's just waiting with you know his computer, there's a Far Side comic where where God is you know there's a man walking through the frame and there's a, a huge safe hanging by a frame rope over his head, and God's finger is just about to push the smite button on his computer. If that's God, then yeah, I probably don't want to come to God with, hey, I screwed up or I'm not yeah. feeling, you know. But if God is perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, mm -hmm. who took naps and got hungry and spoke to the woman at the well and, and wept over his friend Lazarus, then that I can come to, I can come to that God and I can, without okay. shame, and say, you know me. Yeah. And... You love me. I love in Matthew 8, 1 to 3, when the, the leprous man comes to Jesus and goes, I know if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus goes, if I will. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all I will. Mm -hmm. Like, I want, like, it's, it's the, the prophetic message constantly through scripture is, come, let us return unto the Lord. Yeah. And God is saying, I, I want to woo you back out into the wilderness. And like, this is what I long for. I want to be with you. And so, if we can, if we can believe that. Mm. that that we can that god says i want you to be with me uh, i have a, a son who's um uh, neuroatypical and and he can get onto topics that he really likes and he can just talk 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 and he's very aware of it and he's actually very self-censoring of himself because he knows not everyone cares about this mm. and i just said to actually just yes yesterday I said you know god says he's just super interested in what you have to say mm. and you can never bore him with the stuff that you care about like, what if that was an, an intro to prayer? You can't, you're not going to lose his attention, his loving, caring attention. Mm -hmm. And then that gets reinforced by like, if I pay attention and have loving, caring attention to him, and if his friends do, and if like, that's the kind of beatitude community that we're meant mm -hmm. to have is that we are interested, reflecting mm -hmm. God's interest and love and care for us. Oh, I love that. Those two words together, beatitude community. That's the heart of the, yeah, it's the title of my book. So I, oh, there you there. go. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank Aaron. you. <laughs> that was terrific. That is really beautiful. <laughs> you also brought to light, Erin, a different lens on actually both of you, the whole tenor of this conversation about how Jesus brings to us, the incarnate Jesus brings to us this picture of God that is so much more relatable. I love the fact that he asked his disciples for help when he was deeply praying before mm -hmm. his arrest, mm -hmm. like I, that, that might be literally the thing that I, nobody asked me, but the one thing that I'm like, that, you know what I think is transformative, breaking the silence in order to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Like, like that, yeah. <laughs> that. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, it's about ready to get um, spicy. I don't know what's going to happen with the Q&A, but this is where we give people a chance to interact. And the chat's been all kinds of fun. So um, Paul is just going to pop in here and give us a question that was from the chat and we go wherever Paul in the chat space um, <laughs> leads That's us. great. That's so great. That's all. <laughs> Well, hello, hello. Uh, yeah, I, I returned to you from Chatland, and it, it's just been a wild ride out there. Um, I, I've just been really navigating through the complexities of the chat world. No, I'm just thankful for everyone that has uh, sent in questions and participated. I'm going to just give you the first question that was written. And it was, this takes us to earlier in the conversation. And the question is, I would like to hear some thoughts on restful work with regards to mm. Jesus's teaching in Matthew 28 or 11 verses 28 to 30. And I'll just read that really quickly for you, just so it gives you a chance to process your reply. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. Well, the context of that particular passage earlier on, Jesus is praying. He's praying to his father. He says, Father, thank you for revealing this to those who are lowly and weak and, and not to the, to the mighty. And he's really giving a picture of his relationship with his father. And so I think that the yoke is, is relational. Like, what is my yoke? Oh. It's that Jesus is inviting us in himself into that right relationship with the father, that that is the heart of everything that from that place, from that, you know, when, when Jesus is first baptized, the words, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes off into ministry, but it's from that place of identificational authority that he can do the things that he does. He knows he is his father's son. And I think this is what he's inviting us into in the work is say, come and be your father's children. And from that place, you are, you are named, you are claimed, you know, you are provided for, and, and you can do these things, not from a place of striving, not from a place of competition, not trying to prove yourself, but knowing that you're already the children of your father. And so that's why the yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's because it's not actually on you. You're, you're doing what you see the father doing. That's where I would come down on that. I'm also very curious about how much resistance people bring to these two verses, two or three verses, whatever it is, um, because it seems like we read that text and try to think, how much work can I actually get done and still be resting? Um, but what if the invitation is to rest? And then maybe I could be curious about my resistance to that. What, why am I trying to like find the loopholes to try to get more work done? Um, what am I being invited into? Uh, and then bring some curiosity to the resistance to that. But what if I want to do more than what I'm being invited into? Who will do the rest? I think approaching that with some curiosity without trying to find the ways that I can get more done and still live in compliance to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 mm -hmm. might solve some of it. And then be curious about whatever even my words are bringing into you. Like, as I'm talking, what are you thinking? Oh, my word. Oh, what the hell? What's going on? What's Robin saying? No, then come to that space with some curiosity and some gentleness. There's a reason why you're resisting. 
and I'm, I'm speaking as a great resistor. So I, I get that. Yeah. That's terrific. All right. Hit us again, Paul. That's a good question though. Thank you. That's a great. Yeah. Okay. I love the fact uh, that you reference compliance officers, but it like it is. All right. Go for it. <laughs> we have several questions about self-care that have just clarifications about self-care, but I'll start with one that was phrased as a comment and just let you guys reply. Uh, and then the person wrote this. Sometimes I try to practice self-care by protecting myself with intimacy with others. And then dot, 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 I'm not sure that works, question mark. What are your thoughts on that? Paul, can you read that one more time, please? Yeah. Sometimes I try to practice self-care by protecting myself from intimacy with others. I'm not sure that works. Mm. protecting myself from intimacy with others or protecting myself with intimacy with I others? It, I think it's with actually it's, it's with. with. That's yeah, what I with. thought. Okay. Yeah. So using intimacy with others as a way to protect the self. And I, I'm sure you could respond to both variations of that question. Cause I'm sure I could, I could actually ask the opposite. Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, um, a sort of classic codependency is is uh, looking for somebody else to to be that uh, to to fill the needs that we have that they weren't designed to fill, mm-hmm. and that can lead us to lots of really bad places. Um, mm-hmm. If that's what the question means, if it's I'm protecting myself with intimacy. Uh, or with it, with an, even the idea of intimacy with others, um, then you're, then you, it's not, that's not going to meet our needs and it's not going to be good for the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about all addiction and attachment as our stupid friend. And he, he says, because it sort of works, like it makes us feel comfortable in the moment, but actually it's not, it's not what we need ultimately. And, and, and so when it's, when that's a product or a thing, you know, you're not necessarily harming the thing, but when it's a person, you can be really, you can be harming that person as well. So that if it's with intimacy, I would say that, yeah, that doesn't particularly work. Um, and if it's from intimacy, if that's what was meant, that's a very common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I will try and prevent myself from being hurt by not letting people come in mm-hmm. and, I mean, we would, I think, know intellectually that that's probably not going to work. And I'm not actually saying that we're supposed to be open and vulnerable um, just across the board or with, with everybody. I think we have a very, we have a culture that's committed to openness, but not particularly vulnerability. And I don't think that's always very helpful. Um, but yeah, keeping people, I, I tend to do this. My go-to would be to, to shut down and shut people out when I'm not feeling good and, and then just stew in my own juices and, and um be like, yeah, I don't want to let anybody hurt me and I'm not going to let anybody control me. And, and then, yeah, that doesn't work either. Um. Robin, would you add to that? Or would you like to move on? To the- I think those, that was really good, Aaron. I do. I've, I've started to ask myself about this whole self-protection piece. I was trained up or discipled to think that self-protection is a sin Um, that it's our way of protecting ourselves because God's not going to, Mm. but I'm, I've started to kind of posture that doctrine or that idea with some more curiosity Mm. because I kind of wonder if 
and I'm starting to wonder this about myself, but I kind of think that maybe some of that self-protection is actually, or that that wanting to self-protect is actually maybe actually a deep desire to look after myself. Sure. And, and so, and then I want to be careful about how I come down on that because, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, I think... It gets back into those boundaries and that fear of failure stuff a little bit and the fear of disappointing people. Yeah. I mean, I I had somebody once who said, you know, you could come and talk to me. I know that you sometimes watch sports and you could be calling me while you're watching sports. And I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I I had the one, like it was the one time of my day where I was not, Mm. it wasn't healthy. And, and I'm like, no, like I actually, their boundaries aren't the worst thing in the world. That's not me just trying to stop from being vulnerable. I'm vulnerable with, people mm-hmm. but it it i can't be that with everything and and yeah. that comes from yeah i like to i love the curious be curious about why i would even want to exactly mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. all right paul bring it oh you muted yourself <laughs> another question in the uh lens of self-care and this is a pretty common question uh, but it goes like this when does self-care become selfish Never. Here's the thing. The people that we're talking to, they have such a built, you, we have such a built in thing in us that I would say it's going to feel selfish way before it is selfish because it's just, you're just so not used to it. You can trust the ways that you are wired. You are gifted leaders. You are compassionate people. You have deep mercy. Um, you can know that you will, you will not be selfish, but it's going to feel selfish when you start to take care of yourself because you've never done that before or you've done it in really limited ways. Um, so, yes, absolutely. It will feel selfish it's not, it's probably not selfish. I, if you ask somebody else, what would you say to somebody else? If somebody, if Aaron came to me or Angela came to me and say, does this sound selfish? What would you say to that person in that space? I bet you, you would say, no, that sounds good. Um, so yeah, selfish is another one of my trigger words. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. well, the guilt and the shame that, oh. uh, I mean, it, it's just, aren't, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you, you know, it's, Again, it's internal, it's external, it's all those things. I lo- Again, referencing Danielle Strickland, she loves to say that humility, true humility is agreeing with God about who I am. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not knocking myself down and saying, I'm just a worm and I'm so terrible and I'm so awful. Like, that's just, that's just self-loathing. It's not helpful. But agreeing with God and then start to think, well, I wonder what God would say about me. What is God? Does God, does he love me? Does God want good things for me? Does God want me to enjoy this ice cream? Does God, does God want me? You know, I think God does. I think he wants me to thrive. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the point of why he made me was to be in good relationship with him and good relationship with others. And, and so why would I, I, if I'm doing the will of God, why wouldn't I want his will for me, which mm. You know, it, it doesn't mean that there isn't sacrifice. We all, but but we all know that we've all had that hammered into us. Yeah. We all get that, um, and and I think in really unhealthy ways we're pursuing that. But if we can be like, no, I'm just I'm I am absolutely loved, and God wants me to agree with how much I'm loved, and He wants me to participate in loving myself. Yeah. 
And from that place of being loved, maybe I could really learn to love others. Um, you know, I wonder some, I've, I've been in this place of thinking everyone else is probably worthy of God's love, but me. Mm-hmm. And why would God make that exception? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it's that, and it comes down to what do I, who do I think God is and who do I think God thinks I am? Mm-hmm. Robin, I really love uh, your statement. Um, trust your wiring is something, something along those lines, because I, man, I resonate with that both in my own journey out of workaholism and um, in, in being in community <laughs> and observation that there's something about the shame culture that we've already spoken to about productivity and our identity yeah. being in what we produce that leads us to think that we are selfish by nature and that if left to our own devices, we will dot, dot, dot. And it is not beautiful. It is not what Eric was just describing about what God thinks about us, but it has left us with this narrative. If I am not constantly striving in the other direction, if I give in to my self-care impulses, there will never be an end to it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if left here, and I think it's two things, if left to your own devices, you know, this narrative about what self is and that it, it isn't, doesn't want selfless things. Um, but I, it also is the identity piece of like, if I, we've, we've been producing for so long, yeah. we're in such a self-care hole that it leaves us feeling like we are a self-care black hole, that if I get myself a breadcrumb it won't even make a dent and I'm just thirsty all the time and so if I give into this self-care impulse that's inside of me if I trust that wiring it's a beast that will just consume me and I I think I'm so glad you said trust your wiring or Aaron you say trust what God says about you yeah I, I would say too that like be aware of of how that that wiring that I, what I like to say is when you, if you scratch down right to the surface of your, your deepest heart, you'll find the handwriting of God saying, good, good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually the wording is good, good. Um, it's not even just good. It's mm. good, good. I love that. Um, but wow. there can be a lot of digging that has to happen. And part of that is the interior stuff, but also, I mean, environment can be part of that. If somebody, I, I've spent a fair amount of time in and out, not, not from my own indiscretions necessarily yet, but uh, for others in, in jails and prisons. Mm. And that's an environment where it's, you know, if you are seen to be soft, you're in trouble. Mm. And so you build up a hardness yeah. about yourself. The same with my neighborhood. But honestly, I don't want to just be able to think, oh, yeah, yeah, prison and, and war-torn areas and, and the downtown east side. Churches can be exactly the same if you're showing vulnerability in any way if you're actually if look pastors who take two hours to watch a sports game can be called on that in a really negative way and then you can start to sort of calcify mm-hmm. around that mm-hmm. and uh, and we have to be so uh, careful about that too that our environment can sh- can can um i don't want to say rewire what's the right terminology here can can make us can put put a lot of things around that, a lot of insulation around that good wiring that says, you know, you can't get to that and you're not allowed to, and you're not, because if you open up, you're going to get really, really hurt. And the truth is, I think that can be true. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there are environments in which if you do open up, you will get hurt. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our leaders, I'm sure on the call right now, a lot of pastors don't just suspect that. 
but they know, they know that to be true. I've, I've been in places where they, you know, the denominational leadership says, why don't you, you know, make confession with people? And I, I remember one guy going, not on your life. Mm-hmm. No way. Cause that's going in my personnel file. And he was right. He wasn't being paranoid. Yeah, He was right. And that's toxic. Mm-hmm. And so toxic environments don't just, they, you know, it, it, they, they really have real effect. Mm-hmm. And we have to be aware of that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the perfect tee up. So we're out of time for Q&A, but that was the perfect tee up because I knew we would get to the end of this conversation and we're nowhere near the end of this conversation. But um, we have an event coming up with Jesus Collective. We do these things called online learning collectives, and they are five-week intensive courses. And traditionally, they're geared toward Jesus-centered theology or missional practice. But the one that's starting in April is the inner life of a leader. Mm-hmm. And everything you have spoken to, and then just just so compellingly right there, Aaron, the safety of where you choose to open up and where you choose to share. This particular cohort is obviously a community. It is a group learning experience and will be a pilgrimage into those inner depths. What do we need to face? What do we need to say? What do we need to get curious about Mm -hmm. in order to set the emotional and spiritual conditions and social conditions for a long-term thriving self? Mm -hmm. These meaningful, impactful leadership places that we can actually sustain and I am so excited Jesus Collective is offering this thing. I think the link will go into the chat. It'll be in show notes, wherever, like jesuscollective.com on the events section. You can get everything you need. I know we're ending this conversation with a lot left on the table. I know that those of you who RSVP'd for this event marked different options of why you chose this. And so many of you are daring greatly in exploring this conversation. So many for the first time. This is your first foray into, all right, I got to be asking some questions. And I'm glad that this conversation is not the end of the conversation. That resource is coming. Robin and Aaron. Thank you so much for your time, your insight, your courage to share, and how practical you both pulled us up to the themes that you see that can help us all find ourselves in these plot points, but then also bringing it into a thing we can do now to make it different, right? A different story for ourselves. In this podcast, this is the end of our listening audience. Thank you for joining us. For our live audience, this is where we get to be relational with this. We go from this space into breakout rooms where we can talk about where this conversation affects us, what was pinged for us. So at this moment, this is where we say goodbye to the listening audience and to those of you that are not sticking around. But I would highly encourage you, if you haven't before, Choose to join the live experience and choose to stick around for these breakouts. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.